Welcome nerds, now bracing for an entertainment incursion. Rolling Rockabilly Track Gearing you up with the latest in horror, video games, movies, and TV. Now relocating Princess Peach. Nerds, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, it's Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're breaking down the latest episode of The Mandalorian, and we also have film reviews for Super Mario Brothers and Dungeons and Dragons. Plus, we're giving you the latest news in wrestling. And if today's episode isn't enough for you, don't forget you can get even more Amazing Nerd Show content on Patreon by subscribing to our $5 tier. Doing so, you'll gain access to our Best and Worst of the Week show. Though if you'd like even more than that, additional bonus podcasts will be available for our $10 tier that includes all of the other tiers' benefits as well. Incoming giveaway alert. All right, before we move on, the good people over at Paramount has sent us five copies of the first season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds on Blu-ray to give away to our loyal listeners. All you have to do for a chance to win is either subscribe over on our Patreon at Patreon slash Amazing Nerd Show on any tier level that you'd like, or you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and DM us a screenshot when you're done. And then at the end of April, we'll randomly select five lucky winners. I mean, you can't really get better than that. I mean, not only do you get a chance to win the first season of an awesome new show, but you also get the satisfaction of helping support the podcast. Well, season one of Star Trek Strange New Worlds is now on Blu-ray, DVD and limited edition Blu-ray Steelbook. Experience every episode like never before with over 100 minutes of special features, including exclusive cast and crew interviews, a gag reel, deleted scenes, and more. Own the Emmy-nominated first season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds from CBS and Paramount Home Entertainment today. Limited edition 4K Ultra HD Steelbook available for pre-order now. All right, Christian, so before we move on to news, we're going to go ahead and break format uh, because this past weekend was C2E2 and you and your wonderful girlfriend got to attend. I unfortunately had other obligations I couldn't break from, uh, but I just wanted to touch base. Like, how was the show? It was fucking fantastic, per usual. I mean, there was a ton of great cosplay. Um, got to go to a couple panels. Uh, found out about the Summer of Symbiotes, or however the fuck you say that, uh, coming out in August of this year. Uh, that's going to be a big deal, I, especially for 35 years. I didn't realize Venom was that old. Oh, Did yes. Because I remember th- his first appearance, <laughs> Christian. So, yes. <laughs> Thanks for rubbing it in. I am that old. Oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> there was also a bit of a reunion for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We had James Masters pretty much just talking on and on about making out with with our lead of the show. Oh yeah, <laughs> Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yes. Sounds interesting. <laughs> just because the characters you know had different romantic. Oh angles, yes, I know. You know. <laughs> <laughs> now Christian, on the podcast, we've been doing this for a couple of years at you know different conventions where we bring out the coveted amazing nerd show title and we have the more elite cosplay pose with it. I gotta say though, I was telling my wife, uh, you know, while I was posting pictures, this might be the best year yet when it comes to cosplay uh, at the show, at least at C2E2. I was just super impressed with like the level of detail and craftsmanship that went into everyone's uh, costumes this year. Exactly. I mean, there's some crazy new techniques that people are using to do even bigger cosplay than I've ever seen before. So it was definitely crazy. Like even that uh, uh, the Iron Man suit that was completely 3D printed was pretty cool uh, to check out. I was going to say, do you think part of it is like how accessible like 3D printing is nowadays to everyone? 
Like, is that why? I definitely feel like that's added to okay. it. Yeah. Because my God, you're right. Because I gotta say, like, some of these costumes look like screen ready almost. But anyway, with that being said, usually every year we rank our top five. Now, I wasn't there in person, so I don't feel right judging from a picture. So I'm gonna go ahead and let Christian handle the honors this year. Uh, Christian, do you have a top five for us? Plenty more than a top five, but you can check out all the rest of those pictures on our Instagram, of course. Yeah, and I don't want to interrupt, but like pretty much every picture we posted was in contention for the top five. Mm -hmm. And once again, make sure to go ahead and check, you know, those photos out at Amazing Nerd Show, um, you know, on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. But anyway, go ahead, Christian. Um, and to start off, I wanted to say Black Manta, uh, you know, looking like it came straight out of the comics, nice and like bulbous, like everything. The helmet was massive. I mean, it's something that you really had to see in person. It was actually one of the last pictures I took um, that weekend as well, at, though. It was, I was just one of those last minute grabs I saw when I was leaving. Um, and man, it, did he just stand out from across the room just because of how big he was. Uh -huh. It was a very impressive uh, look. Yeah, because if you're going to do Black Manta, you've got to go big when it comes to the helmet. He definitely uh -huh. went big with the helmet. <laughs> but it looked fucking awesome another one that impressed me was a cousin it's that i ran into um that actually had a full like voice box to emulate um the the, the usual uh high-pitched sounds that cousin it makes uh, when it talks gotcha gotcha because yeah at first you think about it like oh well that seems like a simple enough costume but then i mm. thought about it i was like holy shit i can't imagine the amount of work that went into like putting that thing together mm. and then to have to wear it the entire weekend. Yes. Oh my God. It has to oh be my hot. God. I mean, yes. that convention floor is warm as hell. Another one that makes my top five is a, a show that I recently started watching, um, and I'm probably going to review for a uh, Patreon on the, uh, the amazing nerd show, just plug, plug. But uh, you just wanted to say the title. On the, on the podcast. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> An amazing merch. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> Either way, I'm watching Chainsaw Man, and uh, I'm assuming, because this is probably not a part that I've gotten to in the show, but it looks like a final form of the character all put together um, with uh, one of his co-stars, uh, Makima, uh, and it looked absolutely fantastic. Out of all, the Chainsaw Man was all over the place yeah. uh, this year because it's just been a big anime. And uh, man, that was the most impressive one to really show up on the show floor. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because obviously because of the internet, I've seen pictures of Chainsaw Man, you know, over mm. the past like couple of months, but he obviously doesn't look like this where he's got like, chainsaw <laughs> limbs it seems like so you're saying that you think this is a final form of the character yeah i mean that looks much bigger than uh the actual the normal okay, size I, character, thought, like, I, I was like is this a hybrid or something like that like you know was this combined with some other cosplay possibly but you're saying that you think this is a final form okay mm -hmm. just based off what i'm watching it seems like he can evolve gotcha. into this gotcha. so <laughs> One of the very first uh, photos I took was of the Marvel Zombies group. Uh, I mean, this was going to probably be my winner until I found my number one here. But the Marvel Zombies one is perfect. It has like all these little details. We have the Ant-Man hanging off of uh, Deadpool. The arrow. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's so awesome. <laughs> the arrow going through Deadpool's uh -huh. I didn't even notice it until like today. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was pretty impressive. They had their pose down too. Like I saw them get into the same position. Deadpool always had to be laying on the ground. They were all just like in their same spots. But man, uh, each one individually was great. But to have them all together was you know, even better. 
But at the end of the day, the one that wowed me the most was of a Darth Maul kind of painted onto a trooper suit. But I mean, at the same time, it just looks like Darth Maul. And it's such, it's this great, I don't know if it's like acrylic paint or something, but it looked so like realistic and you could really see it from a distance. You know, that was like, it really drew me right to it. Yeah, I was going to say, because it looks like the suit's illuminated somehow. Um, it, is the armor translucent? I don't believe it wasn't at all, at least from standing next to it. Okay, because it looks like he's almost glowing. It, I mean, it's amazing. I it mean, really he does is. have the, the lightsaber turned on. I don't know if that you know, changes Maybe it's anything, just the reflection yeah. of the light. <laughs> it's impressive regardless. Um, I, that would definitely make my list, mm -hmm. honestly. Um, I also want to give a quick mention to the Mysterio. Oh, yeah. I thought the Mysterio is really well done. Um, how did he pull off the smoke in the helmet? Is that cotton? I'm assuming it was like cotton that they may have tried to make look wavy because it wasn't. I think they lit it, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I love the Mysterio. And also the Iron Man that you mentioned before um, that you were saying that was the 3D printed. That looks like it could be on the set of a Marvel movie. Uh -huh. Now, in the picture, the helmet's up. Does the helmet actually like oh, yeah. move down? Yeah, he... they have a button. <laughs> it goes up and down. Oh, really? Uh -huh. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised the arms didn't move. It didn't seem like they moved, at least. When it I was looks like they should. Uh -huh. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if the thing couldn't fly. <laughs> it's pretty fucking impressive. Yeah, it was really good. Um, I can't imagine the amount of time. Mm. and work that like went into something you know like this but yeah i mean definitely check out the pictures for yourself you know at amazing nerd show because we're not doing them justice whatsoever mm. trying to describe them and there's also tons of you know other great cosplay that we're not getting a chance to mention so um definitely go ahead and check those out but all right with that said let's get into the news every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum we're not mild-mannered reporters we're mere podcasters with opinions Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. All right, before we talk the first headline here, uh, just a quick reminder that we record the show on Thursday, so all the Star Wars news that comes out of the Star Wars Celebration this weekend, we'll give you our thoughts on it next week on the show. But for now, Damon, what's our first story this week? All right, up first, we got some DC movie news. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, which was originally slated for a December 25th Christmas Day release, is now coming slightly sooner with a new release on December 20th, the same day as Ghostbusters Afterlife 2. In general, it kind of feels crazy that Aquaman's first film came out about five years ago. But also speaking of sequels, Joker 2 Folly Ado has wrapped filming with director Todd Phillips sharing a new image of Lady Gaga as Harley Quinn looking a tad bit disheveled. Joker 2 comes out October 4th, 2024. So I don't know about you, but I'm really digging the look they're going with for uh, Harley Quinn in the film. Um, just like really subtle. Mm. Uh, I, I think it works, you know, for, you know, this universe. Yeah, I definitely feel like it fits next to Joaquin Phoenix's Joker right now. I mean, I know a lot of people are like nervous about the movie and I get it, but I don't know. I, I'm I'm pretty excited for it. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we get a trailer soon since they just wrapped. I imagine maybe by like the end of like summer or maybe even uh, during October, we'll get a teaser. I don't know. I mean, with the first Joker movie, we got a trailer like super early on. Do you remember that? Like, I think they were in the middle of production still. 
<laughs> yeah, it was it was practically um, right after principal photography because they they pretty much just used him in his costume doing the little dance for the teaser. Yes, yes. So well, anyway, up next on the Marvel side of things, it looks like we got some Deadpool alumni returning for the sequel. Morena Bakarin, who starred as Vanessa Wade's girlfriend and fiance in the first two Deadpool films, claimed on the Inside of You show that she had in fact been in talks with Disney and Marvel to return for Deadpool 3. However, they just haven't come to a deal just yet, but she did express some enthusiasm towards a possible return. Speaking of returns, in a casting report from Deadline, they unveiled the return of Dupinder as played by Karin Sony from the first two films, as well as Blind Al, Wade's roommate, as played by Leslie Uggams. In that same report though, it was noted that comic book writer Zeb Wells, who worked on issues of Spider-Man, has also been signed on to write the script of Deadpool 3. So if they're going to bring Vanessa back to life, or if this is like an alternate reality version of the character, like a variant, like I hope they actually do like the copycat version from the comic books, um, who's like a mutant who has like uh, shape-shifting abilities and stuff. Uh, she's batshit crazy and just like a fun time and i would love to see like deadpool like play off of her um you know react to this like completely different version mm -hmm. than like the love of his life from you know his reality yeah that'd be cool i guess i was thinking too simple i thought maybe oh you know i lost her so maybe there's a way i can bring her back through the multiverse like he tries to pull a wanda um over you know her no i mean that'd be an excellent angle to like go with um you know like once you know the multiverse is broken and he finds himself in another reality maybe he does seek her out and maybe that's when he finds out this is a completely different version of the character you know who is like you know the copycat version from the comic books who like i said once again is completely insane but with that being said i could totally see a situation where you know he refuses to like leave the reality or put things right and it puts him at odds against like the tva um you know because he just doesn't want to leave vanessa again um, so yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think that'd be a great storyline to go with, but we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah. Seb Wells, now that you've listened to our story ideas, you can put that <laughs> into the scripts. You gotta think though, I, they've been filming for a while and if they uh, haven't gotten her signed yet, the actress signed yet, they're probably not going that route with the story. I'm assuming. Um, you would I just, think I, unless I, there's a big change, but who knows? And since we know this is a multiverse film, there's a lot of potential there. We also can't assume that she's being honest, you know, <laughs> she could already be in the film. It's already filmed and everything. Oh, just yeah, hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they teach Marvel actors to lie like uh -huh. right up front. So, well, anyway, sticking with Marvel, we also have some Wonder Man casting rumors. Rumor has it that Ed Harris is in for a major role in the Wonder Man series, according to industry insider Jeff Snyder. Ed Harris, best known for his performances in Westworld and Top Gun Maverick recently, feels like just the right choice to play a villain type role in the MCU, especially after his time on Westworld. But well, we know currently that the Grim Reaper is most likely our lead villain as played by Demetrius Gross. Wonder Man currently does not have a release plan just yet. Well up next it does look like Warner Brothers Discovery is planning a big Harry Potter reboot. 
Bloomberg this week claimed that Warner may be gearing up for a Harry Potter reboot on HBO. The report claims that the show is looking to do a seven-season run, with each season being one book of the J.K. Rowling series. On top of that, they talked on how this would probably be the flagship for whatever they're planning on doing with streaming going forward. But as per the last rumors of a possible reboot of the franchise, I'm just personally not interested in them going back to Potter's character, and I think this is just, you know, dumb gambling when the original films still hold up for the most part. You know, I, I think it'd be wiser to create a new story in this universe that, you know, probably better represents today's muggle world and kids rather than them, you know, either sticking to Rowling's stories or trying to reinvent them in some way because you're risking a high chance of getting a negative reaction following either of those paths. Uh, but that's just my, you know, two cents. I know no matter what, this show will be a commercial success unless they really do something to mess up the overall narrative. Well, anyway, up next, it looks like we're going to be getting another Game of Thrones spinoff series. Coming off the success of House of the Dragon, Variety reports that HBO is now also exploring the idea of going even further into the past and telling the story of the famed Aegon the Conqueror that, you know, half the Targaryens are named after. There is currently no one signed on, not even writers or directors, but this project seems very likely just because of how well House of the Dragon did, which was a show that was very well done. And I, you know, really enjoyed it as per my review but at the same time i don't know if i need a backstory for every single you know part of the you know game of thrones history especially you know looking at a character with such a heavy mythos surrounding him like aegon that really shaped all of westeros i think a part of me just likes hearing that story in passing from our other major characters but you never know, they might write something pretty damn good, and this would be a genuine, I feel like, origin story to everything that is Game of Thrones. You know, seeing the Targaryens come over and conquer all of Westeros. Even saying that out loud kind of lends itself to a multiple season show. But all in all, Warner's just gonna milk this cash cow for as long as they can. I just hope it doesn't sour. Well, lastly, we got some horror news. It looks like we had the cast revealed for the final installment in the X Trilogy, Maxine. The X Trilogy's third installment, Maxine, released a trailer for its cast, featuring, of course, our main star, Mia Goth, alongside Kevin Bacon, Giancarlo Esposito, Elizabeth Debicki, Moses Sumney, Michelle Monaghan, Bobby Cannavale, Lily Collins, and the singer Halsey. The story will continue Mia Goth's character Maxine's quest for stardom in 1980s Hollywood. No release date yet, but Ty West and A24 promise more news is coming soon. Well, I mean, Axe and Pearl were two of my favorite horror films of last year, so I'm really looking forward to see where Ty West, you know, takes the trilogy. Um, Kevin Bacon and Giancarlo Esposito are extremely talented actors. I don't know if I've ever seen uh, Giancarlo in a horror film, come to think of it. So it's a good uh, question. I, I'd like <laughs> to see what he brings to the table. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, but yeah, and this doesn't have a release date yet, right? No release date yet, no. Yeah, Ty West totally spoiled me last year with, you know, having those films basically come back to back. You remember, exactly. like, we didn't even know about the Pearl sequel, like, all of a sudden we got a, a surprise trailer at the end of Axe and mm -hmm. <laughs> everyone was flabbergasted to find out it was actually coming out the same year so I mean, that's insane so yeah it is like I can't remember another situation like that I, honestly like I mean we've obviously had it where they film movies back to back but not to mm -hmm. be released so close together I believe like back to the future two and three were filmed at the same time but there was still they were still released like a year apart from each other um, so, cause I, I believe there was only like 
like four months in between X and Pearl, something ridiculous like that. Uh, so, but anyway, no, I'm really looking forward to this film. Mia Goth is pretty much a, a horror god at this at this point. I just have no like clue where they're gonna take the story. And last but not least, we have an update on Eli Roth's Thanksgiving. Deadline reports Eli Roth's Thanksgiving is set for a November 17th release this year, having wrote the script with Jeff Rendell, who did actually help make the original Grindhouse trailer, along with the film starring Addison Rae, Patrick Dempsey, Jalen Brooks, Milo Mannheim, Nell Verlack, Gina Gresham, Tim Dillon, and Rick Hoffman. Well, speaking of a horror film I'm really looking forward to, uh, I'm also surprised by how quick this turnaround is for this movie because like they just start production a little bit ago so um i mean it is like a traditional like 80s slasher uh -huh. film so <laughs> i guess there's probably not going to be tons of like post work to do but yeah no that that is a quick turnaround i'm i'm guessing that film you must already be wrapped though i mean like i said this isn't like lord of the rings or anything so no <laughs> eli roth knows what he's doing when it comes to slasher films i'm sure all right, Christian, so we also have some trailers to react to this week. Up first, we got Across the Spider-Verse. What's up, danger? Miles! Want to get out of here? Oh, when? So wait a minute. There's an elite crew with all the best spider people in it? Who's the new guy? This is unbelievable. This is the lobby. Miguel O'Hara. The whole thing was his idea. What's a guy got to do to join this spider team? You can never be part of this. Don't even get me started on Doctor Strange and the little nerd back on Earth 1999-99. Come on, go easy on the kid. He had a terrible teacher. Peter. Miles. Mayday. You have a baby? I have a baby. I'll take it from here. So this is like the third trailer I think we've gotten at this point, but by far the most story we've gotten. I would say this is the first real trailer because everything else has been like just flashes of action. Yeah, uh, I mean, they're all like one yes. speech. They've all been montage <laughs> trailers pretty uh -huh. much. But yeah, uh, here we find out that, you know, Miles is struggling with his dual life. Um, you know, his family life seems to be kind of in disarray. Uh, Gwen shows up, takes him to a group of variant spider people called The Lobby put together by Miguel O'Hara. Um, who seems to be the leader, and he seems to hate Miles for some reason. Um, the animation looks fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, we have Peter B. Parker show up. He has a baby now, who's uh, Mayday Parker, who's an obvious nod to the MC2 uh, comic book character who like had tons of popularity back in the day. Uh, a character which I'm actually surprised that they haven't really brought back um, like in any kind of like concrete fashion, um, you know, she showed up in the comic book line during the Spider-Verse uh, storyline, uh, but that's pretty much it. Like she was insanely popular, like, you know, a couple decades ago, but I regress. Uh, it looks like Miles is faced with, you know, the impossible decision of, you know, saving probably a loved one or the entire universe. Uh, but, you know, Miles is Spider-Man. So he, of course, is going to try to save both. Um, yep. And that puts them at odds with, it looks like, the entire lobby. But after this, a uh, bunch of action sequences ensued. Uh, I just love the, you know, visual style, you know, of these movies. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's a point where it looks like it's like a straight fucking comic book with the panels and everything. Um, and also, before I completely forget, uh, we get a little more spot in this trailer. Um, who's supposedly supposed to be the main villain. 
but I don't know. Like, I find that hard to believe. Um, you know, I have a feeling it's the villain's actually probably Miguel. Yeah. Um, you know, who is probably misguided, but it just seems like maybe Miguel's like manipulating the spot. It may be using him for his own needs. But yeah, I, I thought this looked fantastic. Yeah, if anything, I, I could just see the spot's abilities becoming, you know, very problematic going through the multiverse. You know, the, I can imagine that like tearing things apart. But I can't even based off this trailer, he felt like a smaller part. Yes. You know, he's, maybe just like the intro to this movie. Yes. I mean, he's literally robbing a convenience store. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. yeah. So it's kind of hard for me to see him as like truly the main villain. Uh I mean, in the comic books, the spot is like third tier at best when it comes to villains. So, uh, yeah. Now, we'll see, though. Maybe they surprise us. And then because they keep, you know, showing Miles's like mom and stuff like that, I feel like she's the one that's going to be in danger just based off of these yeah. trailers so far. And we know in the Ultimate Universe, you know, where Miles mm -hmm. was originally, you know, introduced, his mom does end up dying. Spoilers. Yeah. So, I mean, they brought her back. You know, once he joins Marvel 616. But speaking of which, we're totally glossing over like the juiciest nugget of information that came out of this trailer. It's the fact that the MCU does exist in this world. Oh, um, yes. You know, uh, Miguel makes mention of Earth 1999, which was originally the call number of the MCU. Before some reason, Kevin Foggy tried to fool everyone in, uh, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness and call the MCU 616. But th that can't possibly be because 616 is the comic book universe. So whatever. Uh, <laughs> I won't totally nerd rage on this one. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, to paraphrase, basically, Miguel angrily says, you know, don't even get me started with what, you know, Doctor Strange, that nerd on 199 did. And that was it. Um We've heard speculation uh, the last couple months that now we've heard speculation over the past couple months that Tom Holland might possibly have a role in this film. Um, I still feel like it's probably a glorified cameo, but yeah. who knows? I mean, maybe he does pop up here as, you know, one of the Spider-Man like variants. I, mean, I still don't think we're going to see live action Tom Holland, though. Like, oh, I think no, if, if I think that's are people saying they're going to see live action Tom Holland? Well, when that rumor came up, the like whole idea was, oh, Miles might actually show up in live action for a second. No, and then no, yeah. I don't think they're going to like who frame <laughs> Roger Rabbit it or anything like that. Uh -huh. I, I remember that now. Um, yeah, no, I think we'll see an animated Tom Holland, honestly. So, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I thought this looked fantastic. And I think I'm even more excited for this film than I was before, which, I mean, I was pretty fucking excited. So that says a lot. Well, there's still not that much longer to wait. It comes out June 2nd. Well, up next, we also got another trailer for Marvel's upcoming Secret Invasion series. You're in no shape for this fight that lies before us, old friend. This is personal. Very few of us know about the wars fought in the shadows that have raged on this planet. Do you feel responsible? Yeah, this is another one we've where we've gotten like a couple like teaser trailers at this point, right? Uh, before, mm -hmm. you know, what they're calling the official trailer. Um, I just love the overall feel 
of like this series. It really reminds me a lot of what we got with uh, Winter Soldier. Uh, so I'm hoping that's the kind of tone that we stick with. Like there's no like cute little one-liners, uh, you know, that's like super typical of like, you know, an MCU anything, which there's nothing wrong with that. But like, this is like, just like a dead serious series, which is a nice change of pace. Um, you know, it starts off with Talos warning Fury that, you know, things have gone to hell since he's been gone. Uh, Fury telling him that's why he's back. Uh, there seems to be like some kind of time jump happening throughout this trailer because like Fury's beard is like in completely different states. Like, see from scene. <laughs> I don't know if you caught that. So I doubt that's like a continuity issue. I, I'm guessing that like quite a bit of time passes. Um, but yeah, I mean, this trailer is very similar to what we got in, you know, the teasers, uh, you know, before it, because it, it's, you know, a straight montage type deal. I mean, we see Rhodey, we see a lot of Maria Hill. Um, we see Amelia Clark's character, who we know from an interview with Sam Jackson is supposedly playing uh, Talos's daughter. Yes. Uh, who we did actually meet in uh, Captain Marvel. So I'm curious to see like what her involvement is um, and whose side she's on. But it definitely looks like there's a group of scrolls who've like infiltrated like the government at this point. Because scene after scene, we're seeing, you know, our main characters come up against like large groups of scrolls. Um, there was even a scroll who seems to have like uh, super scroll type powers. Like he went all stretchy, you know, like the super yeah, scroll who started shooting out tentacles yes, and shit. When the super scroll, he had the powers of all the Fantastic Four. So I'm wondering if, you know, we're actually getting like a, a, a super scroll like proper here. Um, not that he'll have the powers of the Fantastic Four, but, you know, he'll have like some kind of augmented, you know, abilities. I mean, I have no clue exactly what's going on like in this series, but it, it definitely looks like things are grim and like the stakes are high. So I'm down for it. I mean, they also played off a, a big sense of finality for Nick Fury in this as well. I don't know if this is like Sam Jackson's swan song. Or There's what. a lot of like death symbolism going on here because we see mm -hmm. like the graveyard we see his tombstone um you know i mean which which i think technically still in the mcu a lot of people still believe that he's dead after the events yeah. of uh, uh winter soldier so i'm just looking forward to like finding out like how deep the conspiracy goes uh you know with the scrolls and like if they've replaced any characters you know that we aren't expecting uh at this point like any of the pillars of the mcu like, how cool would it be if, like, Rhodey ends up being a scroll or something like that? I mean, it'd be messed up, but it'd be a cool twist for the end, that's for sure. Or hell, even the beginning, <laughs> right? Like, maybe that could be something that starts things off. I, I'm not convinced that we're not going to see a scroll, you know, Nick Fury in this that isn't Talos. Oh, you know? yeah. No, I could totally see that happening. So, like, the first Fury we're introduced to is, like, actually mm -hmm. a scroll. I mean, hell, I'd even like to see them, like, kind of kick things off the way the comics did. Where you have one of the characters dying, uh, in the comics case, it was Elektra, uh, and then she turns back into her scroll form and they realize that, you know, she'd been a scroll the entire time. Um, mm. you know, and that version of Elektra actually, like, took over the hand, um, and the Avengers were, like, in the midst of battle with her, uh, you know, when they realized, you know, they weren't dealing with the real Elektra. So, um, you know, something along those lines. Unfortunately, then, the rest of the events never really really like lived up to that moment um but it was a amazing moment when it happened 
in the box. I mean, I could see that, you know, happening to maybe Maria Hill in this, like her being a scroll the entire time. That would make sense. Yeah, and you think about what that character has access to. Mm-hmm. And, like, how she's been a part of a lot of, like, Marvel's, like, major events. So, to find out that she's been a scroll for years. I mean, that's the kind of, like, espionage shit that I love. So, you know, you know, do something like that. Like, go big or go home. Speaking of espionage, we did see Everett uh, K. Ross in this, like, trailer for, like, half a second. Um, I was wondering if there's ever going to be a moment between Nick Fury and Valentina, though. Yeah, I don't know. I mean... I wouldn't be surprised if they don't do some kind of like end credits type deal where, you know, they cross paths, but I don't see her being like a major player in this series. So, but maybe something in the, you know, end credits to set up like where the MCU is going next. But anyway, uh, this got pushed back, right? So when, when is this coming out again? Uh, June 21st. All right, let's uh, move on to the Blue Beetle trailer. It's called the Scarab. It's some kind of world-destroying weapon. It's designed to protect its host. Sometimes it does what you want, and sometimes it doesn't. I I think I cut a bus in half. The Scarab chose you, but it belongs to me. The love you feel for your family makes you weak. So up front, I had to totally just rewatch the trailer because the only thing I could remember is George Lopez's look. Um, <laughs> it's definitely a choice. Uh-huh. <laughs> Although his mullet was very similar to mine in uh, high school. So, um, oh God, you had a mullet? Uh, kind of, kind of. It was oh, more of Lord. an emo mullet. Like I had the bangs sweeping over uh, <laughs> one of my eyes. Is that supposed to make no, it better? It didn't, trust me. It would have been better if it was fucking, you know, business in front. But it wasn't. The party was everywhere. And it wasn't a good oh look. Oh, my God. <laughs> but if I get, if I ever find a picture, I'll, I'll share it. It only lasted like three or four months. Once I realized, you know, I wasn't going to get a girlfriend with, you know, the hair. I, <laughs> I, I, I cut it really quickly. Um, but anyway, yes. No, uh, I don't know. It, it, it reminds me of like Iron Man meets Shazam. Like, did you get yeah. that like feel from it? Exactly. that vibe. Right. Um, it looks fine. Um, mm-hmm. I think. I think my only issue is whether or not we're in like a lame duck type situation with this film. Like, is this movie part of like James Gunn's vision? Like, is the Blue Beetle going to be in the DCU? Um, Or is this kind of like a one and done type deal? Um, Because it does look like it has potential. Like, I like the look of the Blue Beetle. Like, the comedy seems solid. Visually, it looks like they actually had a decent budget when it like came to the effects yeah Um, it's like a good marriage between uh, practical and cgi in this yeah because if you don't really like invest into Mm -hmm. the look of the blue beetle he has the potential of coming off like something you would see on like a power rangers show or something well i mean that sword moment was very power rangers style (laughs) (laughs) but i thought it was badass uh, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not like an anime fan or something like that. And that that's where he got inspiration for the sword. Um, makes sense. You know, as long as he doesn't go like, you know, mecha size or anything like that. I think we're <laughs> safe from like the Power Rangers like comparisons. So, um, but I don't know. It, it looks fun. 
You know, like it feels very much in the same tone as like Shazam, like I was saying up yes. front. So I just have this funny feeling that they're waiting to see if the film's actually like a success mm. before they like come out and say whether or not it's actually part of the DCU. Right. Like, I feel like that decision is still like pending. <laughs> Which I, I get like from a, a studio standpoint. Yeah. I just hope it gets the right amount of marketing so it doesn't end up in the same situation that Shazam 2 did. Like people say, year. people kept on saying that Shazam didn't get a lot of marketing. Like, I saw Shazam shit everywhere, so I don't understand mm. this complaint. Like, I don't know what the marketing budget was, but, like, when, before that movie was coming out, like, I saw Shazam everywhere. So, I mean, at least up and down the toy aisles and, like, the trailers were playing nonstop. So I don't understand the complaint that Shazam didn't get a lot of marketing. Maybe it's just not in their feeds. You I know? think I just well, I just think people were scapegoating the marketing for just people not being super interested in the film in the first place. So it is what it is. But I think it was also kind of a lame duck situation, knowing that like DCU, knowing now that the DCU is about to happen, it's like, well, is this even relevant anymore? Yeah. Um. You know, and I can understand why they would want to wait. You know, before stating whether or not the Blue Beetles part of the DC because if that's the case then this would actually be the first official DCU film and like James Gunn would literally have nothing to do with it <laughs> so um and I'm sure like he wants to definitely start off this new era for DC on the right foot um and that's why he's directing the first Superman film well, I mean technically the Suicide Squad, I guess, is considered <laughs> canon. <laughs> is it, though? Because I know they said that, but, I mean, and we are getting a Waller series. But at the same time, like, you had Flash and Aquaman show up at the end of Peacemaker. So, like, I don't think that's going to be the Flash and Aquaman we're getting in the DCU. No, but they'll they'll just scrub it. I they'll just, retcon it. Well, that's what I'm saying. I feel like they're going to be kind of cherry-picking what's canon and uh -huh. what's not canon uh, when it comes to those stories. But anyway, you know what I mean. The uh -huh. the Superman legacy film is going to be the first official like DCU film. The trailer for Blue Beetle looked great. I mean, I, I hope that it gets a fighting chance at the, at the box office because um, it deserves that. I mean, it is a cool character in the comics. So hopefully the film does him justice and, you know, it's a huge hit. You'll be able to see it in theaters August 17th. And now for the nerds' review of Super Mario Brothers. Light spoilers ahead. And now, our feature presentation. My army! Koopas! Goombas! Whatever those things are! Aww. We will destroy the Mushroom Kingdom! Yeah! Bowser is coming. I'm not afraid. I'll do anything for my brother. We're going to save him. Yes! Fire! With help from Princess Peach, Mario gets ready to square off against the all-powerful Bowser to stop his plans from conquering the world. The Super Mario Brothers movie is directed by Aaron Horvath and Michael Jelenic and stars Chris Pratt, Jack Black, and Anya Taylor-Joy. So about two years ago, my daughter got a Nintendo Switch for her birthday, and ever since then, we've been pretty much living and breathing all things Mario. From multiple games, toys, and apparel, it's pretty much Mario's world and we're just living in it. Um, I mean, if you listen to the show, you know, I'm not really a video game guy. And the last Mario anything I played on my own was probably Mario Kart on the N64. 
But through my daughter's fandom, I've found a new level of appreciation for the franchise because, I mean, all the games are usually genuinely pretty fun. So to say we were excited in this household for the Mario movie when it was announced is just a huge understatement. But at the same time, being cynical by nature and, you know, just being burned plenty of times on my own, I was more than a little concerned that these Plumber Brothers were gonna end up breaking my little girl's heart. I mean, God, who could forget the absolute disaster the 90s live action film was? I mean, it was so bad that it took decades for Nintendo to attempt another film with their ultra-popular IP. But luckily for Mario fans, this isn't a case of history repeating itself. The movie is everything you possibly want out of a Mario film. I mean, and then some. Fast-paced, action-packed, bright-colored eye candy for young and old alike. Hell, just like the video game, yes, the story's a little thin, but I mean, why would they try to reinvent the wheel when it worked so well for years in the video games? I mean, this isn't Last of Us or Ghost of Tsushima, so I'm not quite sure what some people were expecting. What this film does do well is capture the feel of the entire franchise with action sequences that mirror a lot of the gameplay in a way that doesn't feel awkward or contrived. It brings beloved characters to life in a way that doesn't feel like a betrayal to the source material. It really honors Mario's legacy by paying homage to his many different adventures in a way that never feels forced. I mean, I'll be totally honest, like I don't need the who, what, why, and where answered in a Mario movie. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't worry about how and why the feather turns Mario into a raccoon. I mean, the answer is simply because it's awesome, right? Like, um, speaking of needlessly worrying, uh, the voice acting was totally fine. Everyone did a serviceable to great job with Jack Black really being the standout. I mean, you could tell just how excited he was, you know, to be part of the film. Um, he just brought his A game. I think my only real critique is maybe I could have used an extra color some of the worlds that got the montage treatment during their long journey. Um, but at the same time, I totally understand why the studio would want to keep a kid's movie around an hour and a half. So regardless of that little nitpick, I'm going to go ahead and give Super Mario Brothers an A. Um, it's just lighthearted fun for the entire family to enjoy. And like it kept me entertained for the duration of the runtime. So I mean, what's not to love? Uh, by the way, my eight-year-old daughter also declared it the greatest movie ever made, and you don't get a better recommendation than that. So definitely go ahead and check it out for yourselves. It's now playing at theaters near you. And now for the nerds' review of Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, light spoilers ahead. We're thieves, but we help the wrong person steal the wrong thing and unleash the greatest evil the world has ever known. The Red Wizards created an army of the undead. Sounds lovely. Quite the opposite. I know I was being ironic. I find irony is a blade that cuts he who wields it most especially. You're not a lot of fun, are you? A charming thief and a band of unlikely adventurers embark on an epic quest to retrieve a lost relic, but things go dangerously awry when they run afoul of the wrong people. Dungeons & Dragons is directed by John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, and stars Chris Pine and Michelle Rodriguez. 
I won't lie here, the trailers for Dungeons and Dragons um, didn't look all that appealing, but I wanted to check it out, you know, anyway. And in the end, I was glad I did because this was a bona fide fun adventure in a new IP soaked with plenty of, you know, fantasy elements and D&D aspects while still capturing the feel of the kind of adventures you'll probably have playing this game at home. This by far was one of Chris Pine's best roles yet as he plays an honorable hero named Edgen Darvis who decided maybe being a hero that doesn't ask for anything in return wasn't enough because he wanted to provide a little bit more for his family. However, being a hero put a target on his back and got the attention of an evil cult of red witches and wizards that ultimately kill his wife. Becoming a single father, he and a mutual friend Holga, as played by Michelle Rodriguez, begin a life of thievery in order to live a little bit better and provide for his daughter Kira, along with a couple other bandits like Simon, the anxious wizard played by Justice Smith, and a con man named Ford's Fitzwilliam as played by Hugh Grant. This of course all goes awry when they attempt to help an evil sorceress, Sophina, on a job and so begins the story of Edgin, who tries to get back to his daughter after being in prison for two years, which leads to him discovering, you know, a deeper evil plot at play. In this, the cast all really bounce off each other super well, and while Chris Pine is, you know, the biggest highlights, these side characters all brought a ton to this as well. Justice Smith is great when you give him the right script, and I I've been you know, waiting to see him get a decent project ever since his time on the Netflix series The Get Down. I thought you know maybe Detective Pikachu would be that, but that hasn't you know gone anywhere yet. Um, this also goes for his love interest Sophia Lillis, who plays Doric, a shapeshifter that they honestly didn't show enough of in the trailer compared to this film. So I was pretty surprised by her abilities in this. However, I did feel like the love story between the two characters uh, was a little bit forced. It just didn't feel all there. Didn't really feel like a spark connection between the two characters, but that wasn't really a main focus of the story in general. Another great performance I have to mention though is Resi Jean Page, I'm probably saying that wrong, but he plays a hilarious cleric in this film that, that ate up every bit of screen time he got. Effects wise, everything felt solid, though I felt the overall designs were a little bit simple and a bit cartoonish for my taste. Nothing looked horrendously bad though, and never once was I taken out of the film by you know some bad effect that they put out there. There's a great shape-shifting sequence in this that I kind of wish we had gotten more of in the later acts of the film kind of reminded me a bit of what we got from like Quicksilver how they would only do one sequence of that and then he would be just kind of there in fights later on but other than that the action was all kind of just fine nothing like outstanding or super noteworthy but in the end i think just the unit's banter overshined any type of action or you know super abilities that they have in the story, we find out who the villain is pretty quickly and their motivations are, you know, just fairly simple. You know, greed and world domination, you know, the usual. So they weren't that much of a highlight in this film and probably would have elevated the project a little bit more if they were a tad bit if they were a bit more menacing. But as a potential first film in a franchise, I thought this was fine. I feel like there's still plenty left on the table for sequels. But I just hope that they have a more memorable threat, as the villain just didn't do too much for me in this one. All in all, if you're looking for a good time in a fantasy flick, Dungeons & Dragons Honor Amongst Thieves excels on the fun aspect. The only thing that's really holding it back, just as I said, was its average villain. So my grade for this is going to be a solid B. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. This is a public service announcement. Manscaped now has beer products and is going even further with their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. Go ahead and tell the world the leaders in below the waist grooming are traveling north of your South Pole with their revolutionary grooming products. 
The new Weed Whacker 2.0 and their new beard line confirms they have all the best tools for your hygiene toolbox. Time for you to upgrade your game by going to manscaped.com and using our code 20NERDSHOW for 20% off plus free shipping. Listeners know that there's no one I trust more with my nutsack than Manscaped. So why not trust them with my beard also? So allow me to introduce you to the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It's the ultimate package that makes it easier than ever to craft your signature look. It all starts with the cordless electric Beard Hedger. The Beard Hedger is tough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to single stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time, just like your mother. <laughs> this waterproof cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. The Pro Kit also comes with four dermatologist tested formulations for your post-trim care. This includes Manscaped's beard shampoo and conditioner, beard oil, and beard balm to moisturize, style, and shimmer your new beard. Plus, the kit has three gifts, a beard brush, a comb, and scissors. So with a nice beard, your face is perfectly groomed, right? Wrong! You need to keep an eye out for those tough-to-trim ear and nose hairs. The brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 offers improved blades and skin-safe technology with virtually no tugging. It's never been so painless to mind your manholes. Now that you have your face looking great, you must try Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 for the full body grooming experience. Good news though, the Performance Package 4.0 now comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0 and all the other below the waist grooming products Manscaped is known for. Your significant other will be delighted to see you covering all bases, if you know what I mean. So listeners, get 20% off and free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and make sure to use our code 20NerdShow. Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And now for the nerds breakdown of The Mandalorian Season 3 Episode 6. Spoilers ahead. Recertified, huh? Last week we learned of Bo-Katan's new mission to unite all Mandalorians. So this week we start off seeing what her former crew have been up to as you know mercenaries. Here we find Axe Wolves in command intercepting a Quarren ship that has stowed away a Mon Calamari who has a Romeo and Juliet style love with the Quarren ship's captain. The Quarrens are unable to fight against the former Imperial ship so the Mandalorians are able to quickly get their bounty and collect the Mon Calamari who has left his home. So I... Doug like seeing the inside of a Corrin ship and the whole like tank set up for the captain, but that was pretty much it for me with this scene. Um, but like everything with like the captain's relationship with the Mon Calamari and it was just a little too like, I don't know, corny for the lack of a better word for me. And I guess I should have seen it as a warning sign. <laughs> for this episode because it really was like an omen for things to come and i mean don't get me wrong like it was cool to see sasha banks back um you know and the rest of the mandalorians you know bo's crew but i didn't realize like this story beat was gonna go absolutely nowhere and we wouldn't like meet up again you know with everyone until like the very end of the episode mm -hmm. like you would think after the big moments we've gotten with the children of the watch that you would have gotten like maybe a small action mission for these guys you know yeah, or just like, 
something to explore their headspace, like some mm. kind of conversation about like, you know, their life now as like mercenaries. But I guess like part of it might be they want some like mystery kind of surrounding, you know, you know, where they're at right now, you know, especially with the big reveal from last episode with, you know, the possibility of, you know, a group of Mandalorians helping out Moff Gideon. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that was purposeful. We then join up with Mando and Bo, which for some reason, I didn't realize Mando was actually going to be, you know, heading out with her on this quest. But either way, they arrive to Plazier 15, another Outer Rim colony. But as they attempt to approach her former crewmates, their ship controls get taken over by the Plazier 15 security. I don't know about you, but I was kind of taken aback, like, on how easily this was done. Um, cause it's not like it's a tractor beam, right? That is, you know, taking over a ship. So it just feels like Bo should be able to like override it, like especially her class of ship. Yeah. I mean, you introduce this kind of technology and it kind of opens a lot of weird holes in Star Wars. Cause there's so many moments where you would think, oh wow, this technology would be very useful for the first order and shit like that. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> I know I'm nitpicking. Usually you're that guy when it comes to like the tech and everything like that, but uh. it did kind of like catch me off guard. Because then they, like, throw them on this, like, monorail thing. I was like, okay. Like, why doesn't, like, every planet have one of these? Just to give them planetary diversity, I guess, you know? Sure. Everything's got to be different. Now, in all fairness, I guess it could be kind of explained away with the fact that we know one of the characters is, like, this huge tech guy. So I guess, you know, their equipment could be more advanced. Upon entering the domed city, the two are ushered in by former Imperial droids and forced to show their credentials and actually forced into meeting the city's leaders as the tram kind of locks them in and fires them off to the city center. Dude, where have these droids been all of my life? Like, I need these, like, Black Series toys now. Like, <laughs> I know they're on screen for maybe, like, 10 seconds, but these droids look fantastic. I think you've had enough black series figures Damon. absolutely not i'm about to get another <laughs> detail christian oh god once there Bo and mando meet with the duchess and captain as played by jack black and lizzo during some form of feast they are having captain bombardier is a former imperial that was stationed here through the amnesty program to rebuild a once destroyed world caused by the empire i guess at some point uh he and the duchess fell in love and now both rule over plazier 15 together so once again, they're highlighting the amnesty program. Um, I'm wondering if that's going to come more into play later on down the line um, where we see it's not only like G68 who's like, you know, beating her deprogramming, if you will. But like there's a bigger, you know, group of sleeper cells out there throughout mm -hmm. the New Republic, you know, kind of like you know, functioning in the shadows, if you will. I mean, who knows? Maybe we have like an Order 66 type deal happen, you know, where they hear like a specific like code word and they just all like, you know, turn on whoever they're mm. with at the time. Because you could have a situation where like some of them are more aware than others. And you kind of have to figure that at this point, they've probably found a way to infiltrate, you know, the amnesty program itself. Um, so I don't know. It... it, it could be an interesting like story point if they do decide to kind of really like delve into that i don't know it could be a really interesting like plot point if they decide to go that direction and it would seemingly help explain like how the first order gained so much power so quickly exactly like i'd love to see a bunch of breadcrumbs you know really build up to that moment at the end of the season where it's like 
the amnesty program really was just a scam all along. Like even meeting the Duchess and this captain guy, you know, I was like, wow, they're so bubbly. What if it would be crazy if, you know, because he's part of the amnesty program that he turns by the end of the season in some way, like he's just one of the clips that yeah, we see. Honestly, like once he mentioned the amnesty program, that's kind of where I expected the mm -hmm. episode to be headed. But, you know, we know that wasn't the case. And maybe, maybe it would have made for more of an interesting episode though, honestly. <laughs> So did you have an issue like half of the internet with uh, Jack Black and Lizzo doing the whole like love boat cameo thing? It just felt too cheesy at the time. You know, like they they didn't feel like natural like Star Wars characters, but I think that it's because we were just introduced to this world. I didn't understand that everyone here were these kind of like, you know, super wealthy, you know, don't really do anything. Aristocrats. Kind of people. Yeah. Aristocrats. Um, yeah. So I don't think I had so much of an issue with the cameos. Like I could take or leave them like, you know, they did a fine enough job and, you know, their characters actually had purpose in the episode. Um, I think my bigger issue was just the tone of the episode in general, um, especially after what we got with like kind of a cliffhanger last episode this just felt like a letdown um and it didn't feel like it really fit you know where the story was going so because this whole episode was really just a side mission um mm -hmm. you know we got some plot progression but i don't know it just kind of felt like we were filling time here and when there's only three episodes left that's a little frustrating because honestly like if this was like a 15 episode season I don't think I would have like as big of a gripe, um, but I was definitely frustrated <laughs> when this ended. While Grogu takes a liking to them quick, Mando just wants to get to the bottom of why they are being forced away from their mission. This is when we learn of the Separatist and Imperial droids being repurposed to serve the people of Plazir 15. Unfortunately, these droids are occasionally reverting back to their old programming and attacking citizens. So Cap and the Duchess ask Mando and Bo for their help in return for helping Mandalore become a recognized planet in the New Republic. So I'm guessing we're headed towards like a big Senate scene at the end of the storyline um, where like Jack Black and Lizzo step up and nominate uh, Mandalore to be recognized by the New Republic. Maybe. Or maybe they condemn them. <laughs> maybe they say, you know, it's, it's all a big turn at the end. Sure. I'm going with evil Jack Black for this. Okay. All right? I, I'm, I'm convinced. I mean, now. with that beard, who I'm can blame you? myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's a serious like bad guy beard right there uh -huh. mando and Bo go to investigate the problem first stopping by the security engineer's desk to learn more this is when we meet christopher lloyd's character hellgate who when asked why they don't have a way to shut down all the droids since there is an issue um hellgate informs them he does actually have a way to shut them off but the people voted against this because the droids have taken up doing all the manual labor in all the cities so for me this was definitely a welcome cameo like i don't know we actually heard that christopher lloyd was gonna be part of this season a couple months back mm. so um right off the bat i was like oh yeah no he's totally behind all of this <laughs> he's shifty. his name is hellgate he's shifty as fuck get out of here <laughs> keep him away from that button um yeah no you knew you knew that he was like the scooby-doo villain at the end 
of the episode here. <laughs> it was still enjoyable seeing him regardless. Bo and Mando, determined to get to the bottom of this, are then sent to the droids reprogrammers, which so happen to be Ugnaughts, a race Mando dealt with in season one with Qual and his very specific way of speaking. So when Bo goes to ask about the faulty droids, she kind of offends these proud engineers. Din Djarin steps in and takes the lead as he gives them praise for their works and reaffirms that they are the best droid reprogrammers and engineers in the galaxy, which gains their favor and gets them a list of every potential location of malfunctioning droids they have. So I was half expecting that these guys would be in on like the plot with uh, Christopher Lloyd's character. Because part of me was like, I know how prideful they are in their work, so you would expect that they would try to fix these like malfunctioning droids. So I don't know, I thought it was a little weird that they just had a list of them, but they weren't like, you know, trying to retrieve them themselves. I guess that would be like admitting their faults in a way. <laughs> sure. Okay. <laughs> We'll go with that. The two head to a shipping yard, and while Bo again attempts to take charge and speak with the foreman droid, Mando takes a more direct approach, waving his hand in the way of super battle droids carrying containers. While Bo tries to calm the situation down, the droid she speaks with gets noticeably more nervous as Mando begins kicking super battle droids as they walk by, trying to get a reaction out of them. And he sure does, as one super battle droid attempts to fire upon them and run from the scene. So I know I was complaining about the tone earlier, but I I did like crack up at this part where like Mando just starts kicking the fucking uh -huh. droid. Like, <laughs> like, what is this good cop, bad cop shit going on? <laughs> like, Mando does not give a fuck about droids. Like, no, he hates them. Yes, like, and I horrible. thought he kind of learned his lesson after uh, IG 11, but I guess that's not the fucking case. Well, uh, clearly, because he just left him for dead after yeah. pulling him out of the statue as well. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> the two chase it down through the bustling streets of Plazier 15 before Mando is, is finally able to catch up with it and Bo is able to shoot it down. On the machine, Bo notices a spark pad with the name of a droid bar called the Resistor, which was something I was not aware even existed in the Star Wars universe. But the two still head on over there, with Bo asking Mando to please let her take the lead, as his methods so far have been a little bit too destructive, all due to his fears of droids. So like this whole sequence just felt like, like Law and Order Mandalore. Like I, <laughs> like I enjoyed it to a certain extent. Um, like I liked you know, the action portion of it, like seeing Bo use her jetpack and everything to like help her jump over things, you know, because that's kind of stuff I was, I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, it's something that we haven't seen a lot um, from the Mandalorians. Uh, but at the same time, like it really was, I don't know, tone wise, it was too comedic where it kind of felt like it was, I don't know, bordering like parody territory. Um, you know, just like that whole like good cop, bad cop vibe. I don't know. It just it was so different tone wise compared to what we've been getting this season. Inside, we get the classic Western, you know, outsiders walking into a saloon moment as every droid stands in shock to see flesh and blood enter through the doors. Once at the bartender, Bo attempts to get some information on the defected super battle droid and why he came to this place. But Mando is quick to start threatening the droid to get the information fast. Uh, Bo tries to calm Mando down once more, but this time the bartender steps in and explains that all these droids actually want to help because they are in fact afraid of being shot 
shut down due to all these misbehaving bots. In a back room, the bartender explains what the bar's real purpose is as they serve the droids a lubricant called Nepenthe that also contains updates for all the reprogrammed droids. And after going through its records, the droid realizes all the discovered malfunctioning droids drank from the same batch. So they really started to kind of lose me here because I was I had to rewind to figure out what the hell they were talking about. <laughs> I was like, so do they know that they're supposed to be drinking this stuff? And that's why the bar is there? It feels like they've been programmed to go there to get their updates. But at okay. the same time, they all look like they have like the free will to go there. They, if they look want. like they're socializing. Yeah. So do they not realize that that's why they're like drawn to go there? I mean, the way that he talks about it, or the bartender or whatever, it, it, it makes it sound like it's supposed to be a secret, too. So I don't because that's what it felt like. Um, uh -huh. It felt like the bar with no name from uh, Marvel Comics, like the criminal bar, uh, you know, like when, you know, it was like when Daredevil ever like walks uh -huh. in the bar to like question some, you know, some informant um, where they all turn around. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I guess I was just kind of getting lost in like the minutia of like how this bar works and how these droids function on this planet. It probably would have been smarter and easier just to have them go back to a factory that they could be checked out on. And then you wouldn't have this problem where they're being problem. serviced by some tech yeah, exactly. guy, right? Some IT guy. <laughs> Bo and Mando head to what seems like a coroner's office where a lab tech there helps analyze the super battle droids fluids for some, you know, potential abnormalities. Um, here they find nanites that seem to have infected the lab tech's assistance droid as well as it begins firing off lasers on everyone in the room. Mando, however, is able to cut it down with Darksaber. I keep on expecting Bo to start talking shit to him for like the way he handles the Darksaber. Especially since he could just wave it around so easy. Yes, right? Because <laughs> um, every time he holds it, it looks like it weighs like a thousand pounds, right? Uh -huh. um, but is this really the first time that she sees him with it? No. I, I believe she's Wielding seen him wield it before. Really? Yeah. Okay, I'm, I, maybe I'm just misremembering. Because, I mean, by the time she gets a hold of it this season, he's out cold, right? He's yeah. trapped by that creature on Mandalore. Um, does he pull it out any other time this season? This season? Because at the end he's of the season, to... he just has it from Moff Gideon. He doesn't really use it, right? No. I mean, she might have seen him fight with it during that whole sequence, but beyond that... Yeah, I don't remember. I don't. I'm going to have to go back and watch it. Uh-huh. You know, I was just so focused on Luke Skywalker. <laughs> I've kind of, I guess I kind of blocked everything else out. I mean, no matter what, she's always going to probably feel a little bit like, I, honest, a scorn from it, you know? Yeah, and honestly, though, I think the first time we see him really struggling with it was during Book of Boba Fett. Mm -hmm. During that whole, like, weird alien butcher shop scene. So I guess she hasn't really seen him fight with it at this point. They are then able to find a chain code on the nanites that were illegally smuggled in. And in the data, they find out that it was the security commissioner Hellgate who had actually ordered them from the techno union. When Bo and Mando attempt to apprehend him, he threatens to hit the supposed off switch for the droids, which will actually activate every battle droid on the planet to attack the citizens. He unveils himself to be a separatist, but while rambling on about his his beliefs, but was able to tase Hellgate without him touching the button. And she simply says, politics. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. Uh, yes. I kind of wanted him to hit the button, though. Just, just to see what happens? Yeah, <laughs> to see all those fucking droids turn on people. I mean, maybe that's fucked up. I don't know. <laughs> <But> <laughs> just morbid curiosity. 
especially all those battle droids and shit. Uh, I don't know, like maybe part of it's like, you know, every episode of the season, we've had these huge action sequences. So in my mind, I was thinking, oh, yeah, these droids are all going to eventually turn or get infected by whatever's causing them to malfunction. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have all the Mandalorians jump in and save the day. So I think in the back of my mind, I was just waiting for that moment to happen. Uh, but unfortunately, it didn't. When Jack Black turns evil, he'll hit the button, okay? <laughs> I don't even know if we're going to see Jack Black again, Christian. I know. I mean, he doesn't I have know. a movie to plug anymore, right? Because I did find it a little suspicious that, you know, it's this <laughs> week that he shows up on, you know, The Mandalorian. The week that's Super Mario Brothers, you know, premieres in theaters. Jack Black would do Star Wars at any he time. He would, but come on. It's a little too big of a coincidence, right? I think it's more the studio Listen, I'm decided fine. Yes, that. of course. Yes, it's not Jack Black conspiring. He gets paid. But still, uh, come on. Like, I'm fine with it, but whatever. After turning Hellgate into Cap and the Duchess, they are rewarded with a key to the city, and for some reason, Grogu is given knighthood. Maybe for helping Lizzo's character cheat during an alien version of Croquet? Either way, they are then allowed to leave and meet up with Bo's former crew. We then see Mando and Bo walk up on Axe and the gang, enjoying a day out in the sun. Axe reminds Bo that she is no longer their leader and he has no intention of giving up his new role. So Bo challenges Axe to a fight for leadership, in which Bo ultimately comes out on top. So I'm glad like before they threw down um, that at least we got a little tidbit of like their differing like philosophies. And overall, like, you know, even though it was short, I did like the battle between these two. Um, once again, you know, Bo is a total badass this season. Um, I'm glad that they're giving her, like, her just due. Um, I wish they maybe got, like, a couple more minutes, though. Like, you know, fight-wise. Especially after having to suffer through, like, 20 minutes of, like, Star Wars version of Starsky and Hutch. I mean, maybe I'm being too harsh. It's definitely not, like, the worst Star Wars thing I've ever seen. Um, but I, I feel like this episode just in general has been one of the weaker like Mandalorian episodes we've ever gotten. Looking upon her people, she expresses how all Mandalorians are stronger together, but Axe is quick to remind her that she no longer holds the blade, but in fact someone with no Mandalorian blood does. Bo is quick to defend Din Djarin as, you know, a true Mandalorian who has walked the same path as their ancestors. I mean, hey, I mean, this is one of the reasons why the Mandalorians have always struggled to get along, right? Like, there's always been issues on that planet, mm. um, you know, because they always seem to be in, like, a constant state of civil war. Um, you know, all these, you know, differing, like, you know, philosophies on what the way actually is. Um, I mean, even though I have issues with, you know, the children of the Watch... You do have to admire the fact that they're willing to take anyone in and care for them, you know, regardless of race or species. Where Axe here sounds like a nationalist who only cares about his own kind and, you know, and people he considers like pure Mandalorians. Yeah, he needs to stop ruining my fantasy of just dipping in some water and becoming a true Mandalorian. There you go. Right? <laughs> We're all going to be in the living waters, Christian. Get this is the way. Get baptized Mandalorian. Yes. <laughs> when Axe again brings up how, you know, only a Mandalorian who wields the Darksaber may rule Mandalore, Din Djarin steps in to give Bo the blade. 
Bo reminds Din that it's not something that can be, you know, simply gifted over. But Din explains that the blade truly belongs to Bo as she defeated the alien that captured Mando and took the blade from him. The Mandalorians are stunned but recognize Bo as the rightful owner of the Darksaber as our episode comes to a close with Bo-Katan sparking up the Darksaber. So I was like, really? Is that really how all this works? Because I don't know. It feels very <laughs> anticlimactic to me. <laughs> I don't know how you felt about this, but I mean, the fact that Bo gets the Darksaber back through a fucking loophole, man. Yeah. <laughs> I like, and I'm surprised none of them tried to like say, hey, we didn't see this happen. You know, I can't trust that you actually, or I don't trust this guy either. They believe he's a religious zealot from another clan. Like, I don't know. It there, feels like they there. wrote themselves into a corner that they uh -huh. couldn't get out of. <laughs> and they were like, what about this? Does this work? Because uh, we really need Bo to have the dark saber now. And we really don't want them to have like a death match over it. Uh, uh. I don't know. This felt a little weak and flimsy to me. Um, I think part of me was just really expecting this to be a bigger like plot point. And, like, a source of, like, contention um, between, like, perhaps, like, the children of the Watch and, like, Bo. Because you can't tell me that this was the plan from the get-go for the story. Like, it just, what was the point? Like, <laughs> was it just so, like, Bo's group would become, like, disenfranchised and she would kind of lose everything? So she would go on this journey to... I don't know. I feel like I'm trying to, like, write around it myself, like, <laughs> to help uh -huh. them out. Um... You know, to rationalize it, because I don't understand, like, they made such a big deal out of, you know, Mando gaining the Darksaber in the finale, and then, like, to show his struggle using it, you know, in the Book of Boba Fett, so it kind of felt like we were going to see him, like, master it, you know, and, yes. like, you know, we were going to get some, like, badass, like, training montage and everything, and that was going to be a big part of the story. But instead, we just have him handing it back to Bo using some flimsy technicality. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it just, I don't know. It, it was disappointing. You know, and I think maybe this was the biggest disappointment of the entire episode, honestly. Because mm -hmm. like I said, like, yeah. if everything that happened prior to this took place in like episode 13 of a 16 episode season, I'd probably be fine with it. You know, I think my frustration was just like, we seemed to really hit our stride last episode and this kind of like stopped the momentum of the season here with this like side mission. But this feels like a garish like deviation from the story they originally were trying to tell. And maybe this was planned all along and I'm completely wrong. Um, but once again, like I don't understand the point of Mando even getting the Darksaber in the first place. Because I feel like we could have had Bo's group of Mandalorians become disenfranchised in, you know, in another way. Because it feels like the Great Purge would be enough to tell that story, right? Since she, you know, probably feels plenty of guilt since she was in charge of Mandalorian. I mean, personally, I would have been fine if they just ended it at the fight. Like, I didn't need her getting the, you know, Darksaber this episode. Um... Cause just like you said, I wanted to see, you know, Mando fucking master it at least before giving it back um, and using it maybe in a fight with Gideon or something down the road. Like, I thought there was going to be bigger moments for him, but... Because it eh. felt like they were starting a story 
and they're headed yeah. in a certain direction and then i don't know they pump the brakes for some reason and i understand like you know part of Bo's story in this series is her you know regaining her faith in her people mm. and reuniting all of the clans together but i just felt like if you weren't going to tell a bigger story with the dark saber that it's just kind of a wasted plot device I almost feel like the headspace, you know, we find her in this season, you know, she should be in a point where, like, she doesn't even really want or feel like she deserves to hold the Darksaber right now. You know, like, it should be something like the journey she's been going on should be something that she's probably building up to rather than, you know, hey, just hand it to her in a random episode. No, I agree where she doesn't feel like she's worthy of it, right? Yeah. You know, and she's trying to convince maybe, like, Din to to lead the Mandalorians. Mm -hmm. um, because she feels very lost in the beginning of the season. And I've been fine with the story that they've been telling with Bo up to this point. And I absolutely expected, you know, Bo to eventually regain the Darksaber. Um, and rightfully so, but at the same time to get it back in such like a matter of fact way, like, <laughs> oh, by the way, you remember like in episode two when like I was unconscious and you grabbed the dark saber and, you know, defeated that creature that was holding me captive. Well, technically, according to the bylaws, you should be the ruler of Mandalore now. It's like what? <laughs> so like if she's on the battlefield, right? And like she gets knocked unconscious and someone picks up the dark saber and another Mandalorian walks up <laughs> behind them and knocks them unconscious and then picks up the dark saber. Technically, they're the ruler Mandalore now? Yes. What? <laughs> they now sit on the throne. That sucks. That's her royal that family doesn't... just has no chance. Like what's the point? Right? It'd be so easy to like dethrone uh -huh. any of them. Like <laughs> I feel like like that's not how any of this is supposed to work. <laughs> well, what was stopping her from just getting in a quick punch on Mando then yes. and just taking it? You know, once she realizes he has the dark saber, wait for him to like turn the other cheek and sucker punch him. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like if it means that much to her, because I, I almost felt like at first, like, oh, it has to be like a battle to the death or something like mm -hmm. that. Like it has to be done in some like honorable ritualistic like combat. Um. You know, like it has to be something where you're challenged and you accept the challenge. Kind of like what we saw in Book of Boba Fett, right? When mm. Vizsla challenges uh, Mando. So like, and like I said before, like I've really loved this season up to this point. Um, and I do feel like they can rebound in the next couple episodes. And maybe they have other plans for the Darksaber. Um, but yeah, this just didn't work for me. I mean, it definitely was the weakest episode of this entire season so far. And I, I do agree. It, it just came way too late. Um, but it, I guess it is what it is. I hope that the next two episodes are, you know, big and really story heavy because <laughs> I, I, I would be disappointed overall. I mean, I've, I've enjoyed each episode. I'll put it that way. I've enjoyed each episode as they've come out. But as a, you know, through line as an entire story, the season's weak. I, I'm not afraid to say that. When you say weak, you mean the overarching narrative, like story? Yeah, because like I've enjoyed everything that we've gotten like this season up to this episode, mm. like I said. Um, but I could see that. I mean, I think the last two seasons, like we had a concrete story that we we're following where we knew the direction we we're headed in. 
where like the first you know five episodes it kind of felt like we were all over the place like we knew we were following Bo and we knew you know Mando was trying to seek redemption but at the same time it felt like we were playing catch up for like four episodes right um Mm -hmm. where with the second season the story is very like well defined like it's you know Mando trying to find Grogu's home and also, by the way, we're going to give you all the cool shit like you ever wanted to see as a Star Wars fan. Like you're going to get a live action Ahsoka. You're going to see the return of Boba Fett and you're going to get fucking Luke Skywalker. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, like they set themselves up for a letdown <laughs> like this third season. Like how could possibly this season top the second season? They gave me, as a Star Wars fan, everything I've wanted to see for the past, like, 30-some years, right? But then to, like, top things off, also, like, this this story this season definitely hasn't been as cut and dry. Like, we don't know where we're headed, and it feels like we're running out of time. And, I mean, it is frustrating, right? So let's just hope that they put out, like, two incredibly, you know, satisfying episodes that really, like, helps, like, make sense of things. Now, I know um, the whole Rogue Squadron show or whatever, the the one that was going to focus on the uh, New Republic fighters, mm-hmm. uh, not not Rogue Squadron. That was a whole different project. But um, the, the Rangers, you're talking about the Rangers, the Rangers. Yes. yes, yes, yes. We know that that got canceled. But remember when there was stories about Bo-Katan getting her own show? I don't remember that. I don't think like there was nothing concrete on that. I think that was no, just rumors yeah. where like the Ranger show was definitely happening. I was just wondering if like if any of that was real and maybe they put that mostly into this season. Well, I'm also wondering if those two episodes in Book of Boba Fett was supposed to be part of this season mm-hmm. because it makes a lot more sense to tell that story in, you know, a season of Mandalorian than it does, like, just tacked on to, you know, Boba Fett's, you know, series. Uh-huh. And honestly, like, if those episodes were part of this season, I think a lot of people will be singing a completely different tune when it comes to the third season. But anyway, join us next week is, you know, we find out whether or not Dave Filoni and John Favreau can write the ship and stick the landing with the second to last episode of season three of The Mandalorian. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. Got a bunch of Sony stories this week. Sony Interactive is, of course, still attacking the Microsoft acquisition of Activision Blizzard. This week, Eurogamer reported Sony is using the statements made by the Redfall creative director, Harvey Smith. And we mentioned here on the show, actually, I think last week or the week before. But anyway, uh, when Xbox came into their studio, they came into their studio after buying Bethesda. Redfall devs were pretty much told to no longer focus on working towards any type of PlayStation release. Sony is pointing to that as a clear sign of what will happen for, you know, Call of Duty and other Activision games if this merger is complete. You know, all this despite Microsoft and Xbox execs continuously attempting to say that, you know, this won't happen and also them trying to offer Sony a deal over Activision titles. But, you know, Sony just isn't biting. They're not budging whatsoever, you know, on trying to stop this deal. And again, I don't blame them. You know, if you really look at what they did with Bethesda, then 
yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. Like when we when we brought up that story, we brought this up as well, where we said this will most likely be more fuel for Sony um, to use. It, it just makes sense for them to say, hey, we always saw this before. What means that you're not going to do it again? Though actions, you know, speak louder than words. You know, Microsoft has been saying over and over again, we're not going to, you know, stifle them. And it would be kind of a financial mistake to not put Call of Duty on all systems. It's, it's one of the biggest selling games ever. But if you want to bring more people to Xbox and or Game Pass, making them exclusive is an easy route. You know, that just is what it is. And like I've said before, I'm pretty sure this merger is going to go through no matter what. Um, it really already seems like other countries are starting to budge more and you know say that it's okay for Xbox to finish this. So it's only a matter of time. I feel like maybe by the end of the year, we'll finally see this merger come to uh, you know a head. But speaking of exclusives, uh, God of War Ragnarok now has its new game plus available to those who have completed the main campaign. Along with that comes a new level cap, new equipment and armor sets and new enchantments. Uh, the armor sets look fucking awesome by the way, but they've also made the uh, mini bosses for you when you go back you know all the optional ones that you can find uh on on the ice and shit like that uh they're all kind of harder now um they all have a little bit more tricks up their sleeves plus uh you will be able to skip through cinematic scenes though um certain abilities that um get unlocked throughout the story will not be available uh for you to do like you know being able to use sonic arrows and uh the drop near spear to open up certain doorways isn't going to you know be able to be possible until you've gotten to at least the point in the story when those weapons were made available. Oh, along with that, they've also added a black and white mode as well, if you want to try that out. Uh, doesn't seem like, like it made sense for like a game like Ghost of Tsushima, but I don't know if that makes sense for God of War. It, I don't know. They seem to have had a lot of fun putting together you know, this new game plus for you guys. But anyway, lastly, IGN reported on a new patent put out by Sony for a new controller with the ability to get warmer or colder in the player's hands. Along with that also seems to kind of be this reinforced different type of haptic feedback that will react to the different ways that you put pressure on the actual like touchpad areas that they add to the controller. This will allow you to simulate rubbing, twisting and crushing items in the game world. The sense of touch is a great avenue to explore as we've you know seen haptic feedback become more and more advanced with the introduction of VR style gaming. Someday we will have like Ready Player One levels of haptic feedback, but for right now, seeing a controller with heating and cooling options makes me a little bit worried about possible malfunctions. I joked on Twitter uh, this week that I could totally see, you know, lawsuits happening from the, the controller overheating, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot of testing and stuff like that to happen beforehand to hopefully minimize the potential for lawsuits in the future. Uh, as for me, this past week, we started streaming again, um, had a good time with my friend Victor doing some quizzes. Uh, if you want to watch me be a dumbass and or remember a lot of movie titles, uh, you can catch that uh, VOD right now. Other than that, we're going to continue on with our journeys. We're going to get back. I'm a little bit behind on my you know, gaming schedule, so we're going to try and do a little bit longer streams uh, this upcoming weekend. Make sure to stop by, say hi, and uh, leave a follow so that you can catch us live every time we are on Twitch. But with all that said, let's move on to some wrestling. Ricky Starks, look at the wait a minute. Say it ain't so. Is that? Dude, I took the, the, the White switchblade, Jay White. Part of part of Bullet Club and New Japan Pro Wrestling alongside Juice Robinson. <laughs>
So, Christian, once again this week, we don't have tons of time for wrestling, uh, but we did want to talk about some of the big highlights from, you know, WrestleMania week. I don't know if you were able to catch any of the shows. I know you were at C2E2 all weekend. Yeah, no, unfortunately, it's still all on the back burner. I'm going to be watching most of it tomorrow if I can. Got you. Well, I, I did see it. Um, You know, for me, I, I got to say, surprisingly, like, I think the first night was the best night. Um, you know, on paper, I would never guess that, but, but I definitely think that Saturday stole the weekend. Um, you know, I think my favorite matches of Saturday was, uh, Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte. Um, Ripley won the SmackDown title in just a fucking battle. Um, it looks like Charlotte's going to be taking some time off after this, but it was one hell of a match. Charlotte definitely brought her a game. Um, you know, ever since she's come back from injury, like I think over a year ago, like she's actually mm-hmm. like had a couple comebacks at this point, but she's just been a little off. Um, this was like peak Charlotte though. Um, and you know, obviously Ripley is f- a fantastic wrestler. So, I mean, this was a big moment for her. This was the moment she actually deserved a couple years back in her first match against Charlotte. <laughs> but no, I mean, th- she's going to be a major player in the WWE for years to come. But also Saturday had a pretty amazing main event with the uh, Usos defending their titles, their tag titles against uh, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, uh, where we did actually see Kevin and Sami walk away with those titles, finally putting an end to the Usos. Like, I think it's like a couple year reign at this point. Felt like the perfect like culmination of Sami's story, seemingly finally like, you know, hurting the bloodline. I mean, the, the crowd was red hot all night, um, and they should have been because it was a great show. So, But then we had Sunday, and even though on paper it felt like Sunday was the stronger card, that's not how things kind of worked out. But before we get into that, uh, by far my favorite match of the night was uh, for the IC title, which was the three-way between uh, Gunther, uh, Drew, and Sheamus. Uh it was everything that you would expect, like, out of these guys. Just, you know, three men just beating the shit out of each other <laughs> for, uh-huh. you know, 15, 20 minutes. Uh, you know, uh, we saw Gunther walk away with the IC title. He's still undefeated. Uh, we did get a little, like, tidbit of news uh, this week that Drew's contract is going to be up soon and that he hasn't re-signed. And I guess both sides are kind oh, of okay. far apart. Um I think he's still signed through the fall, but the fact that, you know, that information leaked out tells me that, you know, there's probably some hard feelings right now between both sides. Um, You know, there's a lot of time left, though, so I'm sure they can work things out. But Drew's someone who could definitely make big waves wherever he chooses or whatever Mm. he chooses to do. I mean, that's how he found success the last time. Exactly. When he left and came back, uh, you know, a whole new character. Exactly. I mean, he he reinvented himself from, you know, the ground up. So Um, but yeah, no, uh, we'll see where that all heads. Um, I mean, Drew has to be a main event player. I mean. Jesus Christ, like he really helped carry your company during the pandemic. Um, It just because of the way the main, you know, event scene is right now, it just feels like he's not getting the spotlight that he deserves, unfortunately. Mm. So um, but other than that, match wise, I feel like that was really the only like match that really like lived up to its potential for the night. Um Everything else was just kind of there or, you know, a little disappointing. 
uh you know even like bianca versus asuka didn't do much for me um and i just was dumbfounded that they had asuka lose i mean you realize like asuka is winless at wrestlemania like how ridiculous is that i mean she won the royal rumble only to lose against charlotte mm-hmm. and then here she won the elimination chamber only to lose to bianca and i believe she hasn't won any of her other matches at media so um yeah i mean it's a streak that you would never never in a million years when she first got started in wwe you would think that would ever happen so um it's just insane like they fucking repackaged her you know she went back to you know her old gimmick you know she was pretty dominant in the elimination chamber and you know, they just squandered, squandered, you know, her whole program with Bianca. Like, it just went nowhere. Um, so bizarre. What a bizarre choice. And I understand they're trying to, like, kind of angle Bianca as, like, you know, Mrs. WrestleMania. Um, you know, because I believe she's undefeated at WrestleMania, which is cool mm. and everything like that. And I love Bianca. But at this point, like, I feel like her run's been kind of stale um, and, and to no fault of her own. Um, but, yeah. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't understand what their issue is with, you know, Asuka. Because it just felt like it was the right time for a title change. And you can be Mrs. WrestleMania and still lose, right? Like, it's, you know, that WrestleMania title is more, you know, that moniker, like Mr. WrestleMania, Mrs. WrestleMania, that's more about, like, the quality matches you're having, not about winning or losing. Shawn Michaels, like I said before, has lost plenty of fucking matches at WrestleMania. So, I don't know. I don't get it. Um, but yeah, and then like, you know, to no surprise, really, I guess I didn't have high expectations for it, but the Hell in the Cell was a disappointment. I mean, I think the peak of it was, you know, Edge's entrance. Uh, he came out to fucking Slayer. Uh, <laughs> he had a really cool, like, mirror mascot, everything like that with wings. But then, of course, like, WWE's production team had to kind of ruin it by, like, putting, like, Brood Edge on the screen. It was like, we don't, like, he's not an action figure. We don't need to have brood edge you know across the screen it's kind of silly well only only brood edge could defeat the demon balor you know right (laughs) now during this match i was furious because i thought they were stopping the match you know simply because balor got you know hard weighed and you know there's a little blood but then later on i got a look at the fucking, you know, axe size gash in the top of his uh-huh. skull. <laughs> I was like, okay, I understand now why you stopped it. Uh, it was pretty fucking gnarly. Like, it was a good, like, 12 inches, like, long. So, um, I guess they actually, like, numbed it in the middle of the ring. It put a couple staples in right away. So, I mean, kudos to Balor for dealing with that shit and actually continuing the match. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was pretty fucking gross. So, I mean, if it looks like Edge took a machete to your fucking head, I mean, I'm totally fine with them stopping the match at that point. <laughs> uh, but then we had the main event and, you know, man, I don't know. Um, it just felt like WWE decided to shit the bed once again. I have no idea what the hell they're thinking. Um, we had Cody. Going up against Roman Reigns, um, Cody, who is white hot right now as a baby mm-hmm. face, probably like one of the most over baby faces they've had in years, um, you know, comparable to like, you know, Daniel Bryan's run, you know, with the company, you know, during the yes movement, um, you know, and, you know, neck to neck with Sammy, you know, um, but then you have him go up 
against Roman, who's held the belt for almost a thousand days at this point. It feels like, you know, once again, like it's time, you know, to take the, the belt off of Roman and, you know, finish the story, quote unquote. Um, the crowd is 100% behind Cody. His fucking merch sales are through the roof. Like all the indicators are there that like this is the yeah. guy right now to go with. And WWE just decides to fucking, you know, kick its audience square in the nuts and <laughs> have them go home, you know, unhappy. Um, it just, I don't know. Like, I was flabbergasted with this, like, decision. I i, I did not see this coming. Like, I knew there was a chance, right? Um, yeah. But it just felt like, you know, usually in the past, WWE rides the hot hand. Um, you know, they might go like kicking and screaming doing it, but you know, we've seen it with Kofi mania. We've seen it with, you know, Daniel Bryan, like, you know, it's not necessarily what was in the plans at the time, but when it comes to WrestleMania, they tend to give the fans what they want. I, I don't understand this choice whatsoever. Um, no, um, I had the news just randomly broke to me like while I was out and I, I stood there. I was with friends. I just stood there shocked, you know, because I just had no idea why they would go in this direction. You know, and here's the thing. A lot of people are defending the decision and they're saying, oh, well, if he wins the belts story wise, where does he go from here? And I, I don't understand that fucking logic. I was like, what are you uh, fucking talking about? Then he's, you know, a babyface champion. He has the belt. What do you mean? Where does he go from here? He defends the title. Like, I mean, it, it's it's something story-wise that's happened throughout the decades at wrestling. So what are you what are you talking about? Exactly. And knowing Cody, he's the type that wants to have a title match every fucking yes. week. So he's probably gonna, you know, put over every talent he yes, can. Yes, there's tons of different potential <laughs> feuds for Cody. And not you know, the least a rematch against Roman in the bloodline. Yes. Like that's the story, like seeing Roman try to rebuild the bloodline, but like this match, it, it was good up to a certain point, And then it became every single Roman reigns main event title match that mm. we've seen over the last couple of years, which is tons of interference, a ref bump, and then Roman squeaking out a victory. Um, and what drives me nuts about this is like, you know, it's very like 1997 NWO, right? Where it was just all about like outside interference and Hogan, like, mm -hmm. you know, and Hogan like remaining champion because of strength in numbers. And WCW just couldn't overcome, you know, this, you know, incredibly powerful faction of the NWO. But when that was going on storyline wise, you had the company trying to put an end to it. Like, you know, they would put stipulations on the matches, you know, you would have different allegiances form, you know, trying to put a stop to things. And you would have commentators calling it out every week, acknowledging that, you know, they're cheating to win and like act like, you know, sell it like it's the worst thing in the world, storyline wise. Um, you know, pondering like, what is WCW going to do to put an end to the NWO? Like that was part of the storyline here. It's like, it's like. Once Roman's match ends, 
all of WWE has like amnesia and all they can like remember is the stat in like the the record books of like uh-huh. another victory for Roman. That's it. Like they, they just oh another dominant victory for Roman. It's like no, no, it wasn't. Like he had his entire <laughs> fucking family come out and like interfere so he could win. It's not a dominant win. That's not true. <laughs> and like even though like the NWO shit was fucking frustrating as hell at the time and it got old fast. Like at least storyline wise, they were addressing it. Here they don't even address it. Like none of the higher ups try to put an end to it. There's no like stips put on any of these matches where like oh we're gonna have a cage match, you know, so there's no interference. Like <laughs> it's like okay, no, he defeated Kevin Owens and now he's moving on. Like there's no rematch, nothing. It's like what's <laughs> what's happening? Um, it, it's just gotten so stale. The only thing that was really keeping it afloat was the Sami Zayn storyline. Like, because it was stale a year ago. Um, It was getting old. And speaking of which, I want to bring this up because this drove me crazy, too. So I expected since the Usos lost on Saturday, you know, in a hard fought match that we wouldn't see them on Sunday. That that would be part of the storyline because, you know, Owens and Sammy like took them out kind of like kickstarting the crumbling of the bloodline, right? Like Roman now is kind of left on his own and he only has solo with him in his corner. Like I thought that was the whole motivation between Sammy and Kevin wanting to, you know, face off against the Usos. Um, But we just had the Usos show up in the middle of the match interfering (laughs) like nothing happens. You know, I mean, yeah, we had Sammy and Kevin come out and fight them off, but they still put a beating on Cody. So... (laughs) There was still a factor. Like, I don't get it. Like, you could have at least had them come out, like, selling their injuries, and then they don't quite make it to the ring because they're slower. And then Kevin and Sammy come and chase them out. It's like, okay, well, you know, that's kind of like the climax of, you know, their storyline here. Like, you know, now, you know, Roman's vulnerable because of Kevin and Sammy. Um, But no, no, it's like nothing ever happened. Nothing ever changed. You know, we had... Tons of interference. The Usos interfered. Uh, we had the ref bump. We had Solo interfere early on and get thrown out of the match, only to then sneak back in and interfere and cost Cody the match. That's how the fucking match, you know, ended. We had Solo come out of the crowd in a fucking hoodie. So apparently they have the worst fucking security in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, you know, do the Samoan spike on Cody when he's about to hit another crossroads for the victory. And that was it. Like, I just sat there completely flabbergasted. I was like, I can't believe that this company did this again. Like, they just are allergic to creating, like, a baby face. Like, they just don't mm-hmm. know how to do it anymore. Um, I just, I don't understand it. Like, this was the moment here. Like, Cody is never going to be hotter than he was in this moment. I mean, yeah, you could do another storyline where he goes on a year-long journey and he has to overcome the odds to get back to WrestleMania to face Roman again. But is the audience going to really believe in him again? Like, after, like, this loss? Like, is he ever going to be this hot again? I don't think so. No, because they're not going to be able to tell a compelling enough story for a whole year anyway. Yes. You know, my worry is that, you know, people get tired of Cody's act, you know? Uh And not only the audience getting tired of Cody, but now that we know Vince is fucking back, we know he doesn't have any patience for anyone. Uh So I can't, I can't fathom Vince 
committing to a year-long storyline with Cody, like, going through, like, a gauntlet of foes, like, you know, Brock Lesnar and whoever else, you know, to reach Roman again. I just, I don't know. Like, I've seen the way this guy books week to week. Like, there is no continuity, no consistency, and he has the patience of a small child. Like, once he gets the feeling that the crowd is starting to turn on him or, like, they're starting to flatline, he's going to go with someone else. I mean, this 100% feels like the Lex Luger situation, you know, from the 90s, where they had, you know, Luger do this whole tour around America with the Lex Express, and, you know, he was on this mission to defeat Yokozuna, you know, and, like, they put tons of, like, TV time behind him, really just, like, building up his push and getting him white hot just to fucking pull up short and pump the brakes at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then he eventually gets a rematch at WrestleMania, but he loses that too. You know, and here's the sad thing. Like, I don't think this does Roman any favors. I think anything, this ends up, you know, cooling off Roman. Um, because mm. I think people are going to just get exhausted of the act now. Um, you know, where you could tell a different story with Roman of him, like, trying to rebuild the bloodline and try to, like, get back in power. Like, there's some definitely interesting directions that you can go in like you know with all the turmoil between him and you know his family and i mean come on don't give me that bullshit like oh well there's no place for fucking cody to go as champion like what are you talking about in that logic like there's no place for anyone to go like there's no place for anyone to go after they win the belt you know like what (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was one thing to see that from fans, but another to see Paul Hammond trying no. to spin that same no. narrative. I was like, this is He's bullshit. He's trying to protect his fucking mill ticket. Like, uh-huh. he, like, this Roman run is definitely his brainchild, which I totally understand. But this keeps him in the main event picture. Um, mm. But there's uh, <laughs> there comes a time and a place where it's just time to pull the trigger. And this was it. Um, I just don't understand why WWE likes to shit on their fans so much. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so I don't know. I, I It just left such a bad taste in my mouth, you know, after, you know, like I said last week, like, you know, nine months of goodwill and they just destroyed a one single match. Um, you know, I couldn't bring myself to watch Raw and I've heard that was a fucking shit show too. <laughs> I guess Vince is fully back in power. You know, we didn't even talk about like the merger between uh, WWE and UFC yes. underneath the Endeavor uh, umbrella, which in the long run is going to be huge for WWE. But I just had a feeling that like none of this was ever really about Vince selling the company. It was more about him like trying to angle himself back into power. I mean, not only is he completely like in control of WWE now, uh, but he also has power in the UFC. <laughs> Now, supposedly he's going to be staying in his lane, but it's, it's just crazy. It's crazy times. Uh, like, the dude is such a fucking carny. It just, <laughs> like, the, the fucking mustache and the dyed hair and everything like uh. that. Like, I wouldn't put it past him, like, doing that to completely distract, like, the media from, like, the real story. Like, get everyone talking about, like, his look instead of, like, just how scummy, you know, this whole situation uh-huh. is. Because, like, no matter how they spin it, like, this guy left the company in disgrace. But because of the way, like, the company was structured at the time, he was able to kind of, like, you know, strong-armed his way back in. Um, 
which is just unfortunate. How long until WWE like slap fights? Oh my god, yes. Oh, there's gonna be tons of like crossover <laughs> potential there. We're gonna be seeing a lot uh-huh. of like UFC crossing over to WWE and vice versa, I'm sure. So Conor McGregor has already been tweeting oh, yeah. up a storm ever since. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I mean WWE's uh, been, you know, thirsty for Connor for years. So I'm yeah. not surprised by that. Um it's unfortunate, but like, you know, after Vince left, I started to you know, casually watching WWE again. Um, but yeah, after this past weekend, I don't know, man. I'll I'll go back to you know getting recaps and you know listen to highlights. <laughs> exactly the occasional post I see online, and then I'll look into something maybe. <laughs> yeah, from the sounds of things, like Raw was just chaos again. You know, McMahon ripping up the script last minute. You know, he said he was he wasn't going to be in the weeds of, of things. Um, that was his quote. Like he was just kind of kind of, you know, be part of like bigger decisions creatively. But mm-hmm. from all accounts, he was in gorilla with a headset. So, I mean, that's all you need to hear, like, is like, oh, he's fucking back. Um, so but yeah, I don't care how they spin it. Like, and I'm sure he's been back for a while behind the scenes. Uh-huh. So I know they said that the Cody decision was made weeks ago. But that doesn't mean Vince wasn't part of it, so I, I don't want to hear it. Um, yeah, the, there it's it's gonna be fun with whatever Triple H's address on SmackDown is going to be. Yeah, I'm sure it's gonna be more spin. You know, like uh-huh. I'm in charge, blah blah blah, whatever. Sure, sure. And then like two weeks later, we're gonna find out that you know he left his position. You know, kind of the same deal with like Stephanie, right? Like she came out, made the you know put on this like front. Mark, Kind of exactly like what happened with Stephanie. Like when Vince first came back, they put on this front of like, oh, everything's continuing the way it is. And Stephanie's still in her position. And then a week later, we find out she's stepping down. Yeah, she's gone. (laughs) And I wouldn't blame Triple H at all. You know, I'm sure it's got to be frustrating for him. Um and it sounds like it's also frustrating for a lot of wrestlers. There, as supposedly, there are rumors of wrestlers like you know requesting their releases. I mean, we've got the whole Bailey situation, but we won't get into that right now because we also had some big news uh, coming from AEW this week. That's right. Uh, Tony's big announcement this week was that they're going to be bringing back All In for Wembley Stadium. Yeah, it seats ninety thousand. So I don't know how much they're going to configure it for. But it's by far going to be their biggest show ever. Um, it's going to be their first time in uh, England. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a big deal. If they can, I mean, they have a huge fan base there, so they could potentially sell a lot of tickets. I don't know if they're going to fill the thing, um, but I mean, 40,000, 50,000 maybe. Um, that's kind of what a lot of people are predicting. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're going to have to put on a hell of a card. I'll tell you that much. And now they're still, at least this is the rumor. They're still doing all out and that's going to be a week later. What? Yes. (laughs) So I don't know. And they never announced exactly how people are going to be able to see the show. So we don't Uh, know if the Wembley stadium show is like a pay-per-view or like a televised event. I mean, it is a Sunday. I mean, there's no way that they run Wembley and not televise it somehow, right? Like, you got to get all that captured. Yes. Oh, 100%. 100%. Even if you fucking, you know, you have 40,000 there. 
that's still mm -hmm. huge for the company. So you need to flaunt that optics wise. Um, yeah, but they're going to have to put on one hell of a card. Um, I'm just concerned if all out is still going on and it's only a week later, like, is that going to affect the builds for that card? Um, mm -hmm. you know, cause we've seen that before. Like it, it felt kind of like, um, forbidden door last year kind of took the steam off of, you know, the next pay-per-view. So that's my only concern. But with that being said, I'm sure they're going to be pulling a lot of strings and working with a lot of different, like, you know, companies, you know, like new Japan, um, you know, I'm sh I'm sure they'll probably reach out to like AAA and you know Impact even um, you know to put on like this giant like supercar because I mean if you're one of those companies like why wouldn't you want your product represented like in this historic show so mm -hmm. um, it only makes sense so I could see like them you know maybe getting like Okada like on the card or even like a Will Ospreay you know like get Kenny you know uh, you know facing off against one of those two. Um, you know, you, you gotta go like with your biggest card ever, honestly. Um, you know, if you want to fucking sell this thing out, so you really gotta go all yeah, in. Yes. <laughs> this can't be like your run of the mill dynamite. Like this is, this has uh -huh. gotta be huge. So, um, what matches would you like want to put on the card? Like what dream matches would you put together? Now, a lot of people are saying like, they must know that CM Punk is coming back. They're like ah. a lot of people are like starting to read the tea leaves and thinking, okay, they took a little while to announce this. So was it a case of them like working out a deal with punk, figuring out whether or not they could actually make amends and move forward, you know, with him as part of the company? Um, because if that's the case, like, I mean, you've got it like, I mean, either punk versus Kenny or the elite versus like punk and FTR. I mean, there's so many different directions you can go mm -hmm. in. Um, that I was like, do you do you do a face MJF versus Punk? That's another. I mean, I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it feels like Punk probably would come back as a heel. You would think. You would think that they want to lean would into that. You know, storyline wise. <laughs> uh -huh. Um, but who knows? Who knows? So, uh, I don't know, man. It's exciting though. It's huge and ballsy like for the company. Mm. So I definitely didn't see this coming. Like a lot of people are saying, like when it came out that they're making a big announcement on dynamite, that, that it would be the England show, um, which I was just kind of like, Oh, well that's great for them. But like, I don't know why I give a shit about that. <laughs> but I mean, Wim Wembley is a different situation altogether. Mm. That's huge. But when it comes to the card, you got to figure they're they're going to, you know, announce a, at least a couple of, of big matches before the tickets actually like go on sale. I mean, at least there's no shortage of wrestlers in AEW to do two massive cards, but I, I I'm still very against them doing all out a week later. That makes no <laughs> sense to me. It is what it is, man. I mean, the one saving grace is in Chicago again. And I guess the rumor is they're going to be moving it to the United center. Um, Chicago always sells well for them. So, mm. um, and also like, like I said before, like if you have a situation where they're using a lot of outside talent for the show, that might not necessarily hurt the card for all out then, you know, if you keep all out like in house and maybe you just book like all in as like, just like, like dream match insanity. Speaking of insanity, we kicked off uh dynamite with the debut of the newly signed Jay White, 
Um, a lot of people before WrestleMania weekend were assuming that White would sign with WWE. We heard that you know WWE had a lot of interest in him. Um, mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden Monday, we were hearing that like talks had cooled off for some reason. Um, and then voila, he's opening the show on Dynamite. <laughs> so I don't know what <laughs> happens. Um, a lot of people pointed out that WWE hasn't made a big signing this year. So I don't know if it was a case of them not willing to spend a lot of money on a new contract um, or if just Tony made a better offer. But I mean... AEW is better definitely for having Jay White as part of the roster. Yeah, he'll definitely make a great like secondary heel to whatever's going on with like their top heels right now. Like I could see him having massive feuds with Orange, uh, massive feud with like Adam Cole in the future. You know, I think those are he's going to be a big, important player for them going forward. Well, and, you know, storyline wise, it was Jay White that Adam Cole was wrestling when he got hurt. So that's, yeah. you know, just an organic feud right there waiting to happen. Um, it looks like Cole's going to be going against Jericho first, um, which it is what it is. I hope it doesn't last nine months. Um, but, you know, I think eventually, yeah, they definitely have to go that route. Yeah. Once, you know, Cole's done with the gauntlet matches uh, versus <laughs> Jericho, it's, he'll be cleared up. All right. And then the question really has to be asked, like whether or not, like does AEW have the rights to use the bullet club? Like IP? Because I mean, Juice is still fucking like repping that shit hard and like yeah I mean he comes out to the theme yes, he's got it in his Titan Tron and everything so yeah so they must have some kind of agreement um so are we gonna actually get like like a, a proper like Bullet Club faction in AEW because I mean Juice in his earlier like promos w- was kind of teasing that. Um, and I don't know if they had an inkling of an idea that, you know, Jay might be, you know, headed over, but it does make sense. Like, if you have the ability to do a Bullet Club stable in AEW, like, why the fuck wouldn't you? I just don't know if you have the elite be part of it. Have we ever seen Swerve versus Jay White in any capacity? I have no idea. I don't know. Swerve would be a great addition to the Bullet Club, though. Like, yeah. he feels like he's, like, tailor-made for that group mm-hmm. they would work well yeah. together no i'd love to see that well that does it for this week as a friendly reminder make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform and while you're there leave a five-star review it really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow also if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show follow us on social media at amazing nerd show or stop by the amazing and hey to support the show further and get additional weekly content you can subscribe to us now on patreon just follow the link in the show notes also if you want to rep some nerd show swag you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts hoodies stickers and more and if you post what you bought and tag us on social media we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. I have spoken. <laughs>